Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the MMA Archive. This is episode number five. Um, in kind, we're going to be looking back and celebrating UFC number five, um, the event billed as the return of the beast. I'm really excited about this one. Um, this is the first time in UFC history where there's a featured bout um, between Hoist Gracie, Ken Shamrock, that's separate from the tournament. Um, this fills the spot as well to give the finalists some time before their final bout, uh, as well as giving the people, you know, what they want to see. You know, Hoist Gracie's returned. He's been in every single event up to this point, the only competitor to compete in each UFC um, up to this point, obviously. And, man, this is the most notes I've had, and it isn't even the most fights. So let's get right into this. Um, the the there were some changes as far as the production. Um, we have TV announcers Bruce Beck, Jim Brown, Jeff Blatnick. These are all the same, but we got a new ring announcer. We got Ron Jeremy. Um, I actually like him a little bit more than Rich Goins. You know, the the G man, the good old G man. Um, definitely a professional. We'll leave it at that. Um, this event took place on April seventh, nineteen ninety five. Uh, once again, we're creeping ever closer to 97, the year I was born, as well as um, the year that we can start looking at some other promotions besides the UFC. Um, so I'm looking forward to that, uh, getting to see chronologically, you know, when these other promotions popped up. And now the UFC got some competition, but we'll get there when we get there. Uh, this event took place at the Independence Arena in Charlotte, North Carolina. Um, this is the second time they were in North Carolina, but if I'm not mistaken, uh, this is a different arena, a brand new one. Um, looked pretty packed. The environment was dope. And with that all being said, let's jump right into it. So the first alternate bout of the night was between Guy Mesker and John Dowdy. If you guys remember, I thought J Guy Mesker stole the show in the last fight. Um, he had the fight of the night for me. And I was just upset that I didn't get to find this this fight. If anyone could ever find this and send it to me, please, I would love to see it. Um, but I could not find video for this one. And this is the first time that I there were multiple fights throughout the night that I wasn't able to find, which sucks. Um, but Guy Mesker ended up winning via TKO and solidified his spot as an alternate. I don't know how he's an alternate for two events in a row. That kind of sucks. Like. Most of the time we see guys that were alternates like Joe Charles get the win and then come back the next um, event. Um, I don't know, maybe it wasn't fast enough for people's liking, but I thought it was the best performance so far in the UFC as far as uh, complete mixed martial arts performances. But uh, once again, we are forced to move on because sadly um, couldn't get a hold of that footage. The second alternate bout of the night was between Dave Benito and Asbel Gancio. Hope I'm not saying that all messed up. Um, this one was dope, man. And, and this is why. Um, I thought, once again, first of all, I just got to be honest with you guys. This was another one where I'm here struggling. I'm trying to find this fight. Can't find it. I was only able to find a TikTok clip. Um, that was already a minute and 30 into the fight. So I missed the first minute and 30, um, but I'll, I'll pick it up from there. So Dave Benito is a judo slash grappling um, competitor from Canada, and he's facing off against, like I said, Aspel Concio, 
believe he's from Brazil, representing Ving Sung Gung Fu, something I definitely have never heard of. Um, so from what I saw, um, Benito plows straight to the center and goes straight for a double leg takedown and gets it. Um, he ends up moving quickly into side control and then into mount. So no, I lied. I'm sorry. I, I jumped the gun a little bit. This one is, is the one that I was able to see in its entirety. There's about later on um, with Dave Benito, spoiler alert, <laughs> that I was uh, forced to watch a little bit early into. So I'm really sorry about that. But um, this one started out with Benito just coming straight to the center and going straight for that double leg and just gets it. I think this it's a fitting fight that this was the first one that I was able to see from this event because I felt like this event was a lot of that, just going straight for the wrestling. We already saw how dominant grappling is. Why even play around on the feet? Um, so Benito was able to quickly go to side control and then advance into mount um, and started landing just bombs on Concio. Um honestly left him in a pool of blood at the end of it it was a very quick finish um big johns jumped in on it but it was sad to see actually there was a tap on the right side as soon as he advanced into full mark and landed the first shot and um unfortunately big john was on the other side of the action so he didn't see the tap and it just led to a lot of unanswered punches um opened up a cut on the eyebrow of concio and he just was there to be pummeled um, until the corner stopped it. So quick work for Benito, which is great as an alternate. You know, you're re you're in the tournament. You're ready to go just in case something happens, uh, which is definitely interesting. But <clears throat> moving on to the first quarterfinal bout of the night, we have Andy Anderson representing Taekwondo, standing at a stout 5'9", 238. Um, just an interesting, strange character. I mean, the first thing they say about this guy is that he owns an entirely nude steakhouse. Can you imagine this? Like, I can't. Like, I, I don't think this, there's no way this exists today. Um, just nuts. <laughs> just, just nuts. Um, uh, crazy, crazy stuff. And then he's facing off against someone that's also interesting in his own right. We got John Hess um, standing in at 6'7", 295, just a huge imposing figure. Um, and representing SAFTA, which is his own martial art that he coined. And you know what SAFTA stands for? Scientific, aggressive, fighting technology of America. If, that, if, there's, <laughs> if there's anything that is more, this is in the fucking 90s than this like show it to me bro like what it's the of america for me though like he has scoured the streets of america to find every technique possible um just nuts nutty guys and also was claiming to be um a percentage to two black belt um which is interesting to say the least once we get into this one so this one starts off, obviously, a huge size difference between the two guys. Um, and the bigger man, John, just runs right across the cage and throws a Gracie stomp. Now, you find I found this hilarious because just such a bigger guy. Like, it's kind of like the last thing you really expect. Once again, that little side stomp to the knee is just such a weird technique to me. I find that, I mean... 
if you do damage the knee, it's great. But if not, it just doesn't really do much for you and leaves you there to be hit with the right hand. Um, but it worked out in this instance through a little Gracie stomp and then got his opponent sort of running away from him. And he's just chasing him, chasing him down and throwing just the ugliest sprite hands you will ever see. Um, the size difference played into the fact that they look that bad, but he's literally just winging them from the hip and they're coming down at such an awkward, like downward angle. Um, just strange. <laughs> just really strange. <laughs> landed some landed some good right hands, though, um, on John that sort of forced him to, I mean, on Andy that sort of for, forced him to, like, turn around a little bit and eventually um, actually forced Andy to shoot for a takedown. And this was... This was the moment of the fight that I just knew that this was going to be a very sad one. <laughs> and the reason being is like he shot in deep. He was on the leg, shoulder in the hip, and he didn't move him an inch, bro. Like he looked like he was entirely outmatched in the strength department. And um, John's just separating, trying to pepper him with shots as he can. Um, as he's trying to go in for this takedown <laughs> and literally eventually decides like, you know what? He ain't doing shit to me and just does a little like shift step and just trips him and throws him on the ground. So imagine that like the ultimate big brother move. Like you have someone going in for a takedown on you. You step to the side and you're just like, well, your turn. Just throws him on the ground. Um, Man, I felt bad for Andy at this point already. And the fight isn't over. Um, But John keeps, you know, doing what he has to do. Andy is has his legs up trying to retain uh, full guard. And um, this is the funniest mo moment in this bout for me. This is this this bout was a shit show. If you haven't realized it yet. Um, <clears throat> so John grabs both of his feet as he's he has his legs up trying to uh, retain a guard position. He grabs both of his feet, pulls them down, which isn't too strange. You see this today where they push the legs to the side in order to land either big ground and pound or pass into side control. No, he didn't do that, though. He pulls his legs down to sort of straighten out Andy's posture and then jumps like I've never even seen this. I've seen it with one knee, but not with both. My man just jumps free form, <laughs> puts his arms out, lets go of the hands. I mean, lets go of the legs after he straightens them out and just does a diving double knee. Like this is the only way I could show you how it looked like. Six, seven guy, just boom, like letting gravity do it for him. So weird, like into the chest, like not a strong strike at all. Not not something that I would imagine most people are going for because A, it, it doesn't do much. And then B, um, you're, you're falling on someone. And honestly, in jujitsu, that's not the ideal thing to do. You want to give yourself a, a base to fall onto. You're just throwing yourself onto this guy. And once you do that, it kind of becomes easy for the guy underneath to buck a certain way and reverse you. And that's exactly uh, what Andy did. He reversed from that position and ended up on top in John Hess's guard. Um, so this is when I knew that John Hess was a fraud. And now I don't, I don't want to stir no feathers, but he was calling himself a BJJ black belt. And he goes and puts the leg up in almost a attacking the triangle position. So I was like, oh, maybe he is. And then immediately kicked off 
and put himself in bottom side control. So let me try to explain that again. He's underneath, throws the leg up to attack the, the triangle, and then kicks out trying to make some space and just allows Andy to go right underneath that, that kick and get right back in dominant top position in half. I mean, in um, side control. Just so strange, bro. So strange. You're definitely not a black belt doing moves like that. Um, even if you were trying to kick him away, you would have went for the hips or something to actually give you space. That's not what this was. Um, so John ended up deciding he's getting up at some point, which is something that you see a lot at this point in the UFC where guys are at a strength advantage. And it's like, oh, I'm tired of this and just decide to stand up. So John does that and starts throwing bombs again. Um, no defense whatsoever. Uh, there was one sequence where he threw back to back naked kicks. So he just throws a body kick in combination, throws the other leg. Like before the other one even, honestly, no, Th throws the kick, kick lands, then he brings it back down. And then as soon as he goes that down, he throws the other leg up. Just a strange, like you don't see that. Like you, we saw the Yair Rodriguez versus um, Andre Feely fight where he threw the two kicks at the same time. Like he was in the air, threw the fake and then landed with the right. My man's was just pink pink like that's it's just so weird so weird to see um but it worked can't complain too much when it works um and eventually john grabs up the collar tie and lands two straight rights that you could tell andy just did not like whatsoever he drops straight down on his face and sort of starts falling almost into the cage and at that point john has finishes off with two knees um to the head obviously to the downed opponent, um, a rough way to finish it. Um, but this was more so than anything, wasn't a fight of technique. Um, it was just more so you see, so you saw somebody get physically overmatched, um, uh, which I don't like seeing, to be honest. I know that may sound silly considering I watch all these events and, you know, I want to see these things. Um, I just don't like seeing fights like that where one guy, no matter what, both guys aren't really, adept at the technical aspect of things but one of them specifically is just overmatched strength wise um just not a recipe for a good fight whatsoever but it gave us a good shit show like i'm not gonna lie this was one of the more competitive fights of the night uh despite being um a utter shit show like i said uh but fun one nonetheless so next up our second quarterfinal bout we had todd medina representing Jeet Kune Do, good old Bruce Lee martial arts at 5'10", 2'60". Let me say that again. 5'10", 260. They might have been a little generous. He looked more like 5'8", to me. Um, against Larry Thunderfoot Curitan. Shout out to this legendary nickname right here, Thunderfoot. Uh, representing kickboxing, standing in at 6'2", 230. Um, Larry's much more obviously a posing figure, but Tom Medina looks like he's on all the Mexican supplements. Like my man looks juiced up at that size. Uh, you know, you don't see natural muscles like that on a, on the frame like that, like 260 shredded. Like that doesn't, that doesn't add up to me. That doesn't add up whatsoever. Um, but this one was a fun one. Um, 
Medina went straight in and sort of was trying to engage on the feet. Um, but you saw Larry was a little bit more adept there. Larry ended up throwing a, a right hand and Medina just ducked right under it and went straight for a double leg. He didn't want no parts of that. Um, he wasn't able to get the double leg, but he ended up turning it into a single and then um, barreled Larry over onto that side and was eventually to get uh, able to get on top. Um, Curitan in the transition ended up in a high elbow guillotine. So he's holding on to the neck, um, but it wasn't a good angle really. Um, he had the choke, but once again, you want to you wanna come up and under with the high elbow guillotine. And he was just sort of holding it up here, um, which you don't want to really do. Sort of leaves you stuck and you don't really have the torque necessary uh, to finish it. So <clears throat> just a tough position because now your hands are both locked up and your opponent can hit you and you're not really doing much to them because you're holding them there, but you're not choking them. Um, I mean, maybe it was a little uncomfortable and hard to breathe, but it's not enough that you're debilitated and you can't continue. And that's the key. So uh, Medina's able to just work on some body work, landing some good ground and pound in full guard um, and make Larry pay for that submission attempt, which I respect. Um, <clears throat> eventually they got into a position where Larry was able to regain his full guard and um, Medina was having a hard time landing any effective, effective strikes. Uh, so he starts throwing some short headbutts. I counted 11 of them personally uh, that landed, but not devastating, not like whip lashing his head, but little short shots. Uh, I hate seeing headbutts. Just gives me a headache watching it. <laughs> um, but eventually those headaches opened some things up and Medina was able to pass into side control. Um, it says that this was this one was listed as a forearm choke. I don't really see that just because he wasn't directly across the neck with the forearm. Um, but that's what they called it. And that's how it ended. So this one ended up finishing at one minute, 23 seconds. No, I'm sorry. Two minutes and 55 seconds. Tom Medina wins via strikes. So we have first quarter final bout ending in a minute 23 with John Hess getting the win. And then the second one ending at 255 <clears throat> with Todd Medina getting the win. So now hope you guys didn't have to hear that. The third quarterfinal bout of the night, the introduction of Oleg Taktarov. Man, I was excited to see him make his UFC debut. Obviously, a name that I'm familiar with um, from UFC and also from Pride FC. Um, the first Sambo fighter in the UFC, which, once again, just a huge legacy nowadays with Khabib, Islam, and a whole bunch of other great Sambo practitioners. Um, you could even add Fedor, Fedor Emelianenko into that list. Um, I'm just going to say this just because it was something that I noticed. Um, Taktarov has some of the wildest blue eyes I've ever seen. Like they look like ice, bro. Like piercing blue eyes. I was like, this guy looks Russian to the T. Like this is the the Siberian guy that you could see 
in the night just because his eyes are so bright like literally um i was i was i had to make note of that uh i'll leave it at that um but he's fighting ernie let me let me give you guys the particulars first so we have oleg the russian bear taktarov coming in at six foot 205 representing sambo versus ernie verdicia representing kempo karate he was also a paramedic um he said in the in the promo he was like i got um i got my paramedics buddies with me so after the fight they can take care of him well, i found that pretty funny um he was 510 219 um looked ready to go looked ready to go and i, I was excited for this one obviously because i know who Taktarov is so i i'm like it's time to see what the hype is about um so both started out the fight orthodox ernie's hands were pretty low though and he's sort of fainting up fainting high trying to get movement out of Taktarov. but eventually he opens with a big overhand right slap slaps the hell out of Taktarov, and, and he was like no thank you immediately um, he pulled guard and I found this really cool, man. This is a little slight thing to notice here. Obviously we've seen hoist do it. This is the first time anybody else we were able to see using a blood, uh, butterfly, a butterfly hook, uh, to move Ernie around on top. So he's in top, um, full guard while Oleg is on the bottom and he's using that shin. So what it is, is it's a shin shield that you're putting between your opponent's legs and yours so you're able to lift them up using your legs and your shin specifically uh that's what the hook is that's what it depends on and he was able to move him around a lot on top to actually give him some space and prevent ernie from being able to posture up and land strikes um modern stuff man you love to see it you love to see that butterfly hook even if it was just one um elevating guys it could be very hard and, and it makes you nervous it makes you feel like you may get swept, so you try to get heavy and maintain your top position. Um, and that's what Ernie was doing, you know, just trying to stay calm. Taktarov was doing the same exact thing. I, I think he was just a calm, calculated guy out there. Um, he was able to move <clears throat> to keep Ernie moving around. Eventually, Ernie tried to open things up by landing a big headbutt. He whiplashed it. Um, so it, it, there was a lot of torque in that one. Um, but eventually that allowed Taktarov to sweep and end up in top side control. Now, this one got locked up real quick. So I didn't really have time to see it because the camera was facing towards um, Ernie. So we couldn't really see, like we saw Taktarov's back. But from um, side control, he went straight to the scarf hold and choked him out, man. Just very, got it very quick. And you could tell Ernie was urgent. Like he wanted that, he wanted out of that hold as quickly as possible. So, you know, there was some torque on that and just wrecked his neck. Like you could see it was a, it was a big arc where to give you some perspective, Ernie's on his back laid flat. Taktarov is across him here this way and pulling the head up while choking him. So while being on the ground, just your neck is being torqued this way um, as well as being choked. So that... That was a wrap. Um, Oleg Taktarov got his win in the in his UFC debut. Um, and that one came at exactly two minutes and 23 seconds. Um, so making quick work 
I know I got a lot to say, but the, these these fights go a little quicker than some of the ones we got later on. Um, so next up, our fourth and final uh, quarterfinal bout is between Dan Severn. Beast returned. This one was... Which is crazy. To do. The Beast turned. But he was facing off against <clears throat> Joe Charles. Now, this one was interesting to me because Joe Charles was in the last one. And he got my submission of the night. He locked in a real slick arm bar um, and wasn't able to get into the tournament. Um, but he solidified himself as a. Give me one second, guys. And we're back. Um, so, yes, Joe Charles was able to get that finish, solidify himself as a backup fighter. But. Um, this time around, he's not a backup fighter anymore. He's in the main tournament, uh, which is cool to see. Hopefully, um, Guy Mesker gets the same treatment because this was his second time serving as an alternate. Um, but we got Dan the Beast Severn coming in at six foot two, 260 pounds, representing wrestling. And we have Joe Charles coming in at six foot one, 260 pounds. I, I don't think they were the same weight. I'm going to be honest. I think seven was a little bigger, uh, but representing judo. So Joe Charles runs in with a leg kick, which I found hilarious, just ran in and then shot a straight traditional like tie leg kick, so strange. Um, and Severn saw it coming literally a mile away, catches the kick, takes him down just quickly and lands in side control. And I, there was a slick moment here where he's in transition. So he's not fully inside control yet, um, but he steps up with, the, with his right leg and then shifts his weight to his left leg in order to literally drop his knee on uh, Joe Charles' head. Um, so if you could imagine that, keeping his base here and then dropping down into side control like that, and sort of landing right on his head. Just a brutal move. Um, this is something they actually teach you in jiu-jitsu. Obviously, you want to take care of your partners, but um, it's it's easier to solidify position with those extremities, and, and it's just the truth. It's brutal, but it's the truth. Um, you, you want to use those knees. You want to use the, those elbows, that leverage as much as you possibly can, even if you're not striking necessarily. Um, but you're putting those limbs down on your opponent. Um, and it's basically like getting hit, like really. Um, there's nothing more uncomfortable or more disrespectful in grappling than people putting their knee on your head or on your neck. And that, that's exactly what it did. Just came down with the knee. I, I thought it was real slick. Um, eventually, I found it really cool that Joe was able to work and actually regain full guard. Um, that's not easy, especially from that position. So much respect, much respect. Um, eventually Severn starts to posture up, uh, with Joe's head literally right up against the fence. Like it was a tough spot to be in. You could tell that he didn't really have anywhere to move. Give me one second, guys. Sorry about that. You guys, when your cat is begging to leave you gotta you gotta let him out you gotta let him out but anyway um <clears throat> he had him 
postured up really deep in the fence. So his head was right on the fence. And obviously the rest of the body is facing in towards um, the center of the octagon. Um, so just a lot of leverage for Dan Severn to posture up and land big strikes. That's the, that's that old school ground and pound where you want typically today, you want to keep your opponent away from the fence because they could use it as a, as leverage to stand up. Um, but back then you wanted them against the fence so that they don't have much options on where to go. And people at that time weren't really good at wall walking up the fence. So most of the time when you were in that spot, you're trapped, you're stuck. And that's exactly what how Severn had them. Um, <clears throat> Joe Charles was actually putting his fingers in Severn's mouth and you could see Severn's corner like, Hey, what you, you're not going to say anything about that. Uh, that's called fish hooking. Um, it gave him a little bit of space. Um, and eventually he was able to sort of retain guard, um, from being in a bad position from it. Um, big John didn't say anything about it though, which is funny to me. Um, but eventually Joe goes for a last ditch. So last effort arm bar. Um, but Dan is able to keep him stacked and get his arm free, uh, which I found very interesting. You know, he knows how to defend that now. After getting caught in the triangle, he knows, you know, you got to keep that arm stacked. Um, he did a very good job of doing that. And eventually, um, they, they ended up in a scramble where Joe was able to kick off and try to, like, rush up to grab the fence. So he goes, turns around, grabs the fence with both hands and starts pulling himself up. And in the transition, uh, Severn just runs up to him, locks up a rear naked choke, and throws himself back. Um, and it was just fully locked up, gets him to tap at exactly, um, <clears throat> 138, just dominant performance on top of a very slick submission. Like he caught him in transition, trying to rush to get up, went straight to it and just threw himself back. Um, great execution. And a great finish to the final semi, I mean, quarterfinal bout of the night. So next up, we had some unfortunate news. Uh, John Hess, unfortunately, had to step down from some sort of injury. And in comes Dave Benito. So this one was Dave Benito versus Todd Medina. Um, obviously, Todd Medina was able to get the win earlier in the night. Um, in the longest fight up at, up to that point in the semifinals, I mean, in the quarterfinals. <clears throat> but this is the first time in any tournament, for me at least, where this fight doesn't exist on UFC Fight Pass, which I found very strange. Once again, I told you guys that I had to search for one of these and ended up finding it on TikTok, where I'm a minute and 30 into the fight already. This was that fight. Um, I wasn't able to find the beginning of it. I don't know why. Very weird. And obviously the fact that this has happened multiple times now, this event just sucks. So I'm really sorry about that, you guys. Uh, but what can I do? I got to move on. So from where I started, um, you could see Benito already has Medina flattened out. He's in full mount. He has his legs grapevined, which is when you sort of bow out your leg, your opponent's legs so that they can't even get a base like you. Your legs are now lifting theirs up. Um, so they're really stuck in a, a, almost a V position um, where their legs are in the air 
their head is sort of in the air, but their body is trapped in the middle. Um, <clears throat> and that's just a terrible spot to be in, especially um, on bottom, but on like if you're facing the mat, it's even worse. Um, but he was facing his opponent at this point. Um, but you could tell at this point, fatigue was already setting in for Todd. Um, this was his second fight, and he had the longest fight in the first one. And just being in those bad positions, it's what we call, once again, cooking people. You, you stay in that spot. You work them. You work their cardiovascular systems. Um, you're not trying to advance too quick. You're trying to keep them working, keep them in that spot, and get them tired out. And you could tell he had them cooked. Um, he was real tired. And took the fight out of him, really. By the end of the fight, he ended up moving quickly into mount and landing shots again that forced the, the ref to stop the fight as Todd Medina was tapping. Um, just a, another brutal finish and very technical from Dave Veneto, you know. Um, from everything I've seen, all of these fights, he's able to move very quickly once he gets on the ground and advance his position. Uh, this one ended at two minutes and 12 seconds. So a little bit of a longer one compared to 21 seconds at the first fight. Um, but a great performance nonetheless and setting himself up to go from alternate to finals. He's in the finals now. Um, so congrats on getting that semifinal win. So next up, the fight of the tournaments. I had so much notes on this one. So bear with me, you guys, because this in my opinion, could have and should have in, in many ways have turned out to be, be the final in this one. You know, two guys that are very technical that end up being known sort of as, in a lot of ways, pioneers, you know, pioneers of the sport. Um, and they were able to face each other in this one. So I was super excited when I noticed that they were going to fight and it wasn't even in the finals. Um, so we, we're definitely getting a good tournament here. Uh, so once again, Oleg Taktarov coming in six foot two oh five with the Russian bear as his nickname, uh, coming up as against Dan the B Severn six foot two two sixty representing wrestling. Um, Severn comes out as he always does in Southpaw. Uh, Taktarov was orthodox. Uh, they're doing the little bit where they're sort of watching each other um, and trying to move in closer. Uh, Severn had a black eye still from his first fight. Uh, so you can see the damage wearing on him. And there's some blood on um, Taktarov's gi from the first fight as well. So just you see these guys have been through it already and now they have to face each other. So there was some hand fighting with the lead hand, which I found really cool, man. Obviously, this is huge meta stuff nowadays um, where they're each trying to pull down each other's lead hand and sort of gauge the other's reaction to, to what they want. Um, after getting their hand pulled down, um, eventually Severn just ran straight in and pulled down on Taktarov's head, uh, which if you think about it, is always trying to gauge a reaction for your opponent. Whenever someone pulls you down, your immediate reaction is to pull back and, you know, uh, have some force against that. And unfortunately, in that position, that's the wrong thing to do. Uh, give me one second, you guys. So that, that was not the play there, even though it felt like the natural thing to do, um, but it allowed, because he stood up straight, it allowed Severn to go straight through through those legs and, and get a double leg takedown um, 
And he ended up inside control. And once again, he's doing his signature move at this point. He, he hits a sneaky knee where he's once again, keeping his left uh, leg and keeping his posture with that left side and then using his right leg to just come down on a knee. So he's like this standing over his opponent and then just dropping that knee and every time he can to Taktarov's head. Um, just a brutal shot. And <clears throat> there was this little period of time where Taktarov was able to regain his half guard, um, but Dan didn't mind one bit. That's the wrestler's position, if you ask me, uh, where they hook that one leg and then they're able to just go to town and land short strikes and keep you there. Um, in a very easy way. Um, half guard, if you got a wrestler on top of you, that's not where you want to be. Um, but you can see Dan is staying heavy on top. He doesn't want to get submitted again. He doesn't want to put him in a himself in a bad spot. Um, but at the same time, that forces a moment where you're not doing much either. You know, you're just bowing your weight onto your opponent. And eventually he was able to open up with some strikes and that allowed Taktarov to regain his full guard. So once again, may have been stalling a little bit, but you see why, because as soon as he starts trying to land shots, now his opponent is in a better defensive position. Uh, so once again, position over submission, position over strikes. But sometimes you gotta, you gotta risk it so that you can land. And that's what he did. Um, but there was many points, even when in full guard, that Severn was able to just posture up and land big shots. Um, there was a moment where he went to posture and Taktarov inverted um, almost to like get a, a, a little reverse sweep um, by the ankle and try to get a takedown of his own. Um, but you could see Severn didn't like that at all. He sprawled immediately and um, just try to keep his posture, keep heavy on top and land as many shots as he could. Um, and keep while keeping himself safe, obviously, from those guard attacks, uh, which he knows very well since his uh, finals loss last time against Hoist Gracie. So while postured up, you could see Taktarov eventually start working for an armbar. And Severin was able to get his arm out of danger again. So this is two fights in a row now um, that you see that he's worked on this and he's aware. Um, and at this point, those knees really started to add up. Severn landed a couple of them in a row after that armbar attempt, and it cut open Taktara bad over the eye, um, immediately leaking a lot. And um, you could see that actually was a, in response to having the arm fully extended. So the arm is extended. You could see it, but because... Severn is still postured over him um, and stacking that armbar. He's in danger, but he's not dead to rights. So he's able to keep his arm straight as much as possible while also landing shots with the other arm and then shifting his weight to land that knee again. Um, and man, it was nasty. It was nasty. He split him up and he is like... I wrote right here in my notes, literally, Severn is a nasty motherfucker. And I mean it um, because he once he gets out of the arm bar, he goes and he swims into side control, lands some bombs. And once again, your opponent's already ble bleeding a, a severe amount. He takes his hand and puts his thumb like you see it. 
he puts his thumb right into the cut and just goes like that, like pushes it across. So just split the, the cut open even more. So now his face is entirely just blood because um, he's facing the mat. The cut is leaking that way. Um, just blood all over the place now. And that was just nasty, smart veteran stuff there from Severn. Um, and after that, um, Taktarov was able to regain his guard again for a brief moment. Dan responded by landing some headbutts just for good measure. You know, you gotta, you gotta open them up however you can. Uh, just a, just a madman Dan Severn is, um, all the while though, Taktarov ends up working again for that arm bar and ends up extending his arm again. Um, but in that sequence, uh, Big John saw enough. There was a lot of blood, like I said before, and you can't even really see his face at this point. It's just the crimson mask. Uh, shout out, shout out WWE. Shout out Life's a Botch, my boy Dwayne. Um, there's just he had the crimson mask going on. It was over. We've seen enough. Uh, that was the first real doctor stoppage. I mean, not doctor stoppage, referee stoppage that we've seen without no corner stop corner throwing in the towel without the fighter tapping he took it into his hands and said no nah, this this fight is over so respect to big john for doing that so now i know i've been rushing a little bit but it's because i knew we had to come to this point and if you watch these fights already you already know what i'm talking about <sighs> but the featured fight the one we was all waiting for we got ken shamrock coming in Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Let me give you guys the particulars on that finish. Sorry about that. So we've got Dan Severn getting the win at 4 minutes, 21 seconds via TKO. So now, next fight, the one we've all been waiting for, Ken Shamrock coming in at 6 foot 205, representing shoot fighting, coming up against Hoist Gracie coming in at 6'1". 180 pounds, representing jiu-jitsu. Once again, the only competitor to compete in all five UFCs. Um, and this is the first ever super fight in UFC history. So you could argue, you know, just because Hoist has been a longstanding champ, this is the first time someone defended their belt. Um, I, I don't know about that, but you could argue it. Um, and once again, this is a one-off fight between them two. They wanted the rematch. Let's do it. Why, why try to set it up in the tournament where it may not play out? Let's just have them fight each other. And I found that really cool. Um, but the fight didn't end up being cool. Uh, we'll get to that. Um, but Hoist came out southpaw like he always does, you know, keeping those arms at real far length uh, so he could throw those kicks. Um, Ken coming out in orthodox, ready to wrestle. You could tell, um, just ready to wrestle. And Hoy starts out with that Gracie stomp. You already know, landed a few of them. Um, but eventually, um, Ken Shamrock is able to duck under that and drive for a takedown. And you could see there wasn't opposition. There wasn't takedown defense from Hoyce. Hoyce invited it. He said, all right, let's do it. Pulled guard, obliged the takedown, and now you're in my world. And man, in his world was he. I'm just going to say it like this because I have a lot of notes. This fight remained in this position, I would say, the entire fight. Um, 
which is crazy to see. And when you hear how long this one went, you'll understand. Because this is the first time that I was struggling. Like, I watched this fight, and I was not having a good time. I'm going to be real. Like, this one was a slog. Um, Hoist is in full guard working to get his guard higher. Ken Shamrock is trying to land little pot shots, but also has been burying his arms in Hoist's chest and sort of pushing on them. So he's on top like this. His arms are underneath his own chest in between him and Hoist. Not really trying to land punches, trying to keep himself safe from any threat, to keep away from the arm bar. I respect it. It makes sense, um, but it doesn't lead to the action that we're here to see. Um, Hoist is obviously doing his patented kicks to the kidney, which I find always look funny from that position. Um, but literally, I checked the clock after eight minutes. Ken Shamrock opened up with some headbutts. Um, but once again, they remained in that guard position. Uh, Shamrock kept trying to posture up and, and ended up diving right back into the guard, like to keep himself safe. And literally, I wrote in parentheses, I'm like, no, not again. Because as I'm watching, I'm like, ah, I thought we was about to get somewhere. But no, we're back in full guard once again. Um, heavy top pressure from Ken Shamrock, but not really much, you know, being accomplished. Just um, bowing his weight down. So I literally, I'm going to be real with you guys. I'm, I come here to tell the truth. There's been a couple times during this fight that I skipped forward 10 seconds and I'm like, uh, and literally they're in the same spot. There was other matches that Hoist was in where, specifically if i remember against chemo where they're in that spot but they're moving around the cage because of how much pressure chemo's putting and trying to land shots no they, they were in the same spot barely moving slow increments um and this lasted for 31 minutes you heard me correctly this fight was originally supposed to be one 30 minute round it went on for 31 minutes before Big John steps in and says, you guys got to get up, get to your corners. And I thought the fight was over when he stood them up. Um, but he tells them, we got five more minutes and we're starting the fight again on the feet. So I'm like, this right here is the reason that we need rounds. Because you can't assume that everyone's going to get a, a finish, even though that's how it has been. Everyone has been getting finishes usually under five minutes, which is under the first round, technically. No, not this one. This one went 30 minutes strong. So this is why we need rounds, fellas. And I hope from this point forward <laughs> that they try to implement them because this was hard to watch. Like I said, 31 minutes straight of this. Um, but eventually the overtime period starts. And this is the first time I've ever seen Hoist throw a sidekick to the body. I made sure I recognized this because it's always to the knee. It's always to that lower section. And he did it there. And then he saw it. You can see Ken trying to read that. Like, oh, that's coming in. Good to know. And then Ken was able to land some really good right hook counters uh, where he would let Hoist come in with the strike. And as soon as it'll either tap off his leg or miss him, like he'll step out the way, He'll be quick on a trigger, throwing that right hand right after, just returning, pitching. Uh, they call that catch and pitching your counter, where as soon as as soon as their their hand hits you, you're throwing your strike. 
and uh, just great timing. He's able to crack Hoist twice and open a really big swelling and cut on his eye. Um, the first real significant damage of the fight. Um, and the first time we've really seen Hoist hurt like that, we've seen him exhausted, uh, but not cut up like that. He was bleeding a lot and you see it really swell up. And once again, of course, Hoist, I mean, allows Ken to shoot the takedown. They end up in guard again and Ken was taking advantage. He knew he busted him up. And he immediately starts trying to headbutt that area um, as much as he can, because obviously Hoist is keeping him close. So there's not much room for him to make torque, um, but he's doing it anyway. You know, he's keeping heavy top control, landing big strikes as much as he can, you know, extending as much as he can. Um, but the entire five minutes elapse and Big John stops it again. And there was no judges in attendance at up to this point there was no need for them so they didn't have judges in attendance so this one ended in a tie and i found this to be just blasphemy ken shamrock got robbed this was clearly his fight he won this fight he was the only one pursuing action he was the only one pursuing damage he was the only one pursuing advancement in position um and he got the stiff and ended up getting a tie um, he was very happy about it. Don't get me wrong. You could tell they were, they, they shared a moment. They were there smiling. He was glad he didn't get submitted. Um, but he got robbed and that fight was absolute garbage. The first time a fight really does not live up to the hype. Like everyone was expecting that to be a fun one. It was fun the first time they had it. And the second time it was just a recipe for disaster. So I would say watch it for the freak show, but I don't expect anyone to sit through that. Like, as I was watching it, I was like, I can't believe that I have to do this right now. Like, nothing's happening for 30 minutes straight. Like, this, this is why I'm here, though. I give you guys what you need. You know what fights to check out and which ones to avoid. And that's on the avoid list. 36 minutes of nothingness. Um, there was some strikes there that landed. Once again, we'll leave that at that. Ken Shamrock should have won. Ugh. Anyway, we're finally here at the finals. We got Dave Benito coming up against Dan Severn. The Hope from, from Canada coming up against the All-American wrestler. We got Dave Benito, 6'2", 258, representing judo and wrestling. Versus Dan Severn, 6'2", 260. More so than Dan Severn versus Taktarov, I feel like these guys physically were a great match for each other. Obviously, the numbers look very similar. Sometimes the eye test doesn't look that similar. But for this one, both of these guys, you could tell they're imposing figures. And they're good. Like I said, a good matchup for each other. Um <clears throat> So, Benito comes out hard with the stutter step right cross. I really like this, man. Uh, what I mean by that is he sort of, as he's closing the distance, like he's doing a start and stop kind of thing. And it, and it leads Dan to try to, like, anticipate and react and leaves him right open for that straight right hand. Um, and you could tell he didn't like it at all. 
Like he immediately tried to clinch up. And when they did clinch up, he drives Benito all the way across the cage um, to try to get him up against the fence. And Benito did a great job. Once again, this is something I've talked about before and I'm going to keep talking about because in the modern day, this is very common as well. But as soon as Benito's back hit the fence, he used it to bounce right off of it. And he bounced off, got an angle and started landing some nasty right uppercuts with his right hand um, that once again, you could see Dan is like, oh, like he's, it's disturbing him. It's hurting him. Um, and he it pushes him to, to pursue that takedown even further. Um, so Severn eventually was able to once again, close that middle distance. So they're no longer in um, clinch range. Well, not clinch range, dirty boxing range, I should say, uh, where they have enough space to throw strikes. He, he wanted to eliminate that space and sort of press them up against the fence. And he did just that. Um, and I found it hilarious, actually. Um, every single time he got a chance, Benito is ducking out of the clinch and just cracking him with that right hand. Like his right hand was money in this fight. It was on point. Every time he got a chance, every time he got separation, he was throwing it hard and trying to land it hard. And he did. Um, you could see it definitely did some damage to that eye and really made Dan think whenever they were in these exchanges. Um, so much so that there were times where he just let go of the clinch and then had to re-engage, um, which is not what he wants. So you could see the effect uh, that Benito was having with those strikes, which I found really cool. Um, he eventually was able to land another good right hand. Um, that turned around Dan, he let go of the clinch, turn it around. And literally, Dave Benito pushes him up against the fence and goes for a, a single leg. I'm like, is this guy crazy? <laughs> you're going for a, a single leg takedown on Dan Severn? Like, you're nuts, bro. But I respect it. Um, Severn stuffs it easily um, and eventually is able to get him in a spot where he's able to re re-engage and push um, Benito back against the fence so now he's out of danger again um but that was chippy there when I saw him reverse and then put Severn against the cage and then attack for some, uh, a, a takedown I'm like what is happening right now like if he would have got that takedown that would have been wild literally wild um but they're eventually in that clinch position again and Dan Severn does a very good job once again of using excuse me, using his third arm, his head um, up here to do, <laughs> to do a great job of posturing him against the fence. So he's using his head as an arm um, and, and was able to get a nice slick takedown uh, that allows him to end up on top inside control where he, he's here and his opponent on the right side is up against the fence. Now, Severn immediately goes on to attack uh, arm lock. To me, it, at first, it looked like a Kimura trap, but it wasn't. It was a key lock. And the difference is semantic. So Kimura, your arm is being pulled around in the traditional chicken wing. Um, I know you guys have seen it, um, where it's being pulled back behind you. The key lock is the opposite. So your, your arm is this way. And then they're getting their arm behind yours, grabbing on this side, 
and then trying to elevate your elbow while keeping your your hand up here um at a downward angle so it, it it's a strange position but it really torques on on your shoulder and it's a really hard um submission to get out of once your opponent really has that leverage um in today's mma i would say this is a tough submission to pull off i have seen it happen um once again shout out alexander romanov but it's just not an easy submission to get whatsoever um but Dan Severn did it, man. He did it. Um, usually in that position, you could cage walk um, as your defense. So think about it. You're laying down. Your The fence is right here next to you. You put your legs up on the fence, and then you're able to invert. You're able to make a change in position that way. Um, but obviously, that was the furthest thing from Benito's mind. He was just trying to protect that arm, and it left him stuck, left him stuck and vulnerable. And Dan took every advantage of it. And you could see as soon as he finished it, he knows the tournament's over, and there's just a sigh of relief. Ah, like, I love seeing Dan Severn celebrate because there's very, something very visceral about it. You didn't see that from Hoist um, in the same way. You know, Hoist felt almost relieved. Uh, but Dan Severn's like, this is this is my shit. This is this is my town now, baby. I don't care if I lost to Hoist. Hoist went out there and had a tie. I came out here, looked much improved, and won the tournament. So much respect, man. Dan Severn is a problem for UFC events to come. I would love to see him have a rematch with Hoist Gracie at some point down the line. And just the lore, man. Just watching him have his rise, have his moment get to the finals, fall short, and then go back, straight back to the finals the second time. I think, if I'm not mistaken, he's the only other person besides Hoist Gracie to do that up to this point, to make it to consecutive finals. Um, so once again, much respect to, to Dan Severn. Shout out, shout out my boy Dan Severn's mustache on Twitter um, for engaging and keeping up and wanting to hear about this one because I found it perfect, man. Perfect week. Uh, for you to get on board with the show i hope you liked it i hope all you guys liked it um there are some gems on this one um and with that being said let's get right into our awards so we can wrap this up all right so let me line this up okay so starting out with our fight of the night i had to give it to the main event Dan Severn, Dave Benito. This is the only time really where both guys were in trouble. Like you saw Dave Benito was hurting Dan Severn with those strikes, but he persevered, kept coming, kept doing what he had to do to try to get top position and eventually got it. And when he got it, um, it's hard, sad to say, because uh, it wasn't easy, um, but he relented. Um, he, gave, he, gave it, he gave him everything once he got to that point. Shout out to those guys. Uh, made a great fight of the night, and also, huh, man, I just I'm I'm gonna say it. Dan Severn's cleaning these awards, man. He's cleaning, he's cleaning them up. This is this is his night right here. Uh, next up, we got our performance of the night. Once again, this for me is, in my opinion, what I would say the mixed martial arts award. The 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 fight that I thought that they did. They took a great approach and they did a good job of showing their skills in all facets and ended up getting up the getting the win. And this one goes to Dan Severn against Oleg Taktarov. Great 
semifinals um, matchup and just a great finish. Uh, once again, showed grit, determination, showed good top control, showed good grappling in that way, but also showed good striking, landing very clever knees at many different points um, where he's literally putting all his weight on that knee onto uh, Taktarov's head. Just brutal stuff. Um, and this one actually surprising may, may be a surprise, may not. Uh, but I gave it the KO of the night as well. So performance of the night, knockout of the night, both go to Dan Severn in his fight against Oleg Taktarov. Now, finally, we have our submission of the night. I could have been cheap. I could have gave them all to Dan Severn. But I decided against it. And it's because of one man. The Russian bear, Oleg Taktarov, in his UFC debut against Ernie Verdesia. Um, Just a great performance. Once again, did a very good job at putting himself in a position to win that fight with the scarf hold uh, just a beautiful submission something that once again even in today's mma is not too common um shout out to alexio linick uh someone that loves to find himself in a scarf hold position but even for him that is not an easy position to get a finish in uh so the fact that he was able to get that submission from that spot uh you got to give him that award so th those are all my awards man three of them featured either Oleg Taktarov, I mean, all of them either had Oleg Taktarov or Dan Severn in some way, um, which is speaks to the level they are compared to everyone else. Not that I'm saying everyone else in the tournament was bad, um, but you could see they were clearly on another level. And I kind of wish they would have uh, fought each other in the finals. But who knows? Maybe if Dave Benito fought Taktarov in the semis, he doesn't make it to the finals. Who knows? Like maybe Dave Benito wins that because Dave Benito, like I said, he he gave Dan Severn a run for his money too. So just a great night of fights. This this one really more so than any made me feel like we're getting stars. Like now it isn't just a Hoist Gracie show. Like now there's new guys to look at in multiple different spots that could potentially be the future of the UFC. So exciting stuff, you guys. I hope you loved it as much as I did. I had a great time covering it. Um, I hope you guys enjoyed. I hope you guys look forward to the next one. Um, the next one is obviously going to be UFC number six. Uh, so looking forward to that. Hope you all have a good one. Peace. Peace.